Hey friends, I'm here with Claybrook McMath, who is someone that I've had dealings with in the past, and we also were both part of a basketball club in the local area here. Clay's actually back in Adelaide these days, and he's one of the most entertaining people that I know personally. And hey. hilarious Instagram, the Facebook stuff is on point, and he's also doing a lot of creative stuff, which is probably why out of all the sports people that I've had the pleasure of meeting through the bandits that Clay is probably the most interesting person to me because he had a whole other side that he maybe wasn't as afraid to show or he maybe embraced more than other athletes would. So Clay, the way this show works is that we start kind of a little bit in reverse. We talk about what you're doing right now and then go yep. back, go back to the start and try to work back to how we got there. So I like that. The Tarantino interview. We'll do it we'll do it like Tarantino does his movies. I'm not a massive Tarantino like as far as the methodology. I like the movies, but if you're saying that I'll take that as a big compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just talk about maybe that something that has you excited right now, whether it's your podcast or whatever, then we'll go back and talk about how we got there. Oh yeah, man. I mean just the, the podcast is sort of um over the probably the last month has had its biggest jump in in listens. Um, I'd say largely due to a, a guest that I had on. His name is Davo Slots. Um, he's an online streamer. People are usually used to watching or hearing about video game streamers, but he actually streams his online gambling um, activity, and he's a very charismatic guy. Uh, charismatic guy. So um, just yeah, a lot of his uh, sort of viewers or um listeners have have come over to to my podcast which which was huge for me so very happy about how how we've been traveling over the last month or so so the podcast has one of the great podcast names for the people that are listening it's called welcome to the potty which yes i couldn't believe when yourself and i think when the show first launched maybe dante was dante nicholas that is a former teammate of clay's was involved yes was how did you get a name, Welcome to the Potty? Like You'd think that surely someone would have said that phrase and had it as a podcast because I'd heard people say that just like maybe not Welcome to the Potty, but I'd heard podcasts referred to as a potty before. Like, yeah, well, I don't, think it, I don't think it's real mainstream to call a podcast a potty. I've heard a lot of, a lot of podcast hosts say pod, yeah. Um, so I just think I think maybe Potty got skipped skipped over or something, and we were just sitting there one night. I think uh, I I missed I missed one game or maybe two games. I had to go to uh, New Zealand for a family situation, and uh, I was just listening to so many podcasts while I was while I was gone, and I I was just like shit. Like, and I, I know this is pretty corny because a lot. A lot of people do this sort of same thing, but like, oh, you know, I can do that or whatever. But I mean, we were talking before you started recording about how how difficult it actually is to maintain the production of a show. But I, I just said to Dante, I texted him while I was in New Zealand. I was like, we are starting a podcast as soon as I get back to um, Albury. And instead of that just being a bit of talk, I basically got got back, landed, and went straight to JB Hi-Fi and bought. Uh, bought the first mic, which we shared. We just shared one mic, and um, we sat down one night and we were talking. We were saying, um, "Oh, what, what is it like the party boys?" 
And potty was just sort of the first thing we said and we came up with a whole bunch of puns and welcome to the potty just seemed like the perfect name for it for the show. The thing that you've done, which is in retrospect is brilliant, is you basically are covering off on the intro and the name of the show in one phrase. Like it's yeah. it's mastery really clay <laughs> like you'd... yeah well uh, yeah i mean happy accident i suppose yeah yeah <laughs> so the one thing that you did say in there and the way this show works if you haven't listened before clay is we definitely go down rabbit holes so i hope you're okay with that you, oh, me- you mentioned big fan of rabbit holes yeah, you mentioned that you actually went out and got the microphone and i know someone that's been making podcasts lots of different shows for about eight eight or nine years now the number of people that I know that have said to me, I want to start and have done absolutely nothing to make it happen. Like it, it is as simple sometimes as, okay, maybe we can't build a studio, but let's go get a microphone and see if we're actually any good. Yeah. And that that's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes people talk, talk a big game and don't, don't let anything happen. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that I used to pride myself on when I was playing ball if someone wanted to talk shit, if I was going to talk shit back to him, I better make sure that I, I back it up and I and I made sure that I did on most occasions. And so when I said I was going to buy a mic, I bought a mic. And it's just about being accountable, I guess. So now I've got a, like a pretty, oh, you know, decent, I've put a fair bit of money into it now. So the studio in here is pretty um, set up pretty nicely. And yeah, we're just, just looking to grow. Nice. So before we move a little bit forward from how you started the podcast and we will probably talk a little bit of basketball because that's how Clay and I first got to know each other. Mm-hmm. It must have been pretty funny for a guy of your size. So people that are listening, if you don't know Clay, just from memory, you're six foot eight and at that point you're in premium condition in the 2016-ish time frame. You were mm-hmm. super fit. Dante probably was weighing in it probably heavier than you and he's six five ish. These two really big athletic dudes huddled at a little table with one microphone. <laughs> like yeah. like do you have any photos or any memories of just how strange that situation seems to you now as someone that has a room set up? Oh. <laughs> oh, I mean it, it was um the audio quality going back wasn't as as nice as it is now, but it I mean it worked and it was raw. And I think that was part of the charm to begin with. So we we actually got off to a bit of a running start in terms of listeners, uh, as limited as the you know the um, metrics are still for for podcasters. But yeah, there's there's some pictures of us. We just had the microphone up on sort of high gain, so it was just picking up everything in the room. So it was a bit annoying when our other housemates were you know grabbing plates and cups and shit because you could you could hear it all. <laughs> I actually have a note. Sorry to cut you off. I have a note written down. One moment early in the podcast that really stood out was, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but I think that at the time, everyone knows who was playing for the team. So Greg Mays was the center and he was making so much noise. And then (laughs) then Deba George must have walked out and apparently he, I mean, Deba's incredibly polite, quiet person, but he wasn't making any noise. And it was either yourself or Dante. I'm like, Greg, look at this. That's a quiet person. <laughs> Be like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how it went down, but it, yeah. yeah, it must have been pretty funny that, like back then, no one really would have even understood what you were doing. I don't think you're doing a podcast. 
Yeah. You're basketball players. What do you mean you're doing a podcast? Like, Yeah. I mean, it was just, I guess the guys in the team probably understood it very well. Me and Dante were easily the most outspoken on the team. Uh, you can probably include Corey in that mix from the my first year with, with the Bandits as well. Yeah. But, yeah, we – uh, we talked a lot of shit on and off the floor, and um, yeah, the only the natural progression was to start recording it, I guess, because people are we we thought people were missing out, and it was. I mean, I started listening because I knew you guys, and yeah, it, it was it was really funny, and obviously over time, the quality has just got gone up and up, and I've been thinking about, and I'm going to get this out of the way early, and I apologise, Clay, if I'm a bit clumsy in how I say this, but mm. for me with my background, what I'm interested in, the comedians that I like, the music I grew up with, etc. It feels to me like I've been welcomed into a little cultural universe that I wouldn't normally have access to. Well, I wouldn't call that clumsy. I think you've done an amazing job of making people like myself that have maybe no connection to higher level of athletics or a connection to the hip-hop culture or any of that sort of stuff, you've made it a very welcoming experience for people like me that have always had an interest but didn't really have an avenue, if that makes sense. So, Yeah. I mean, is that something you were trying to do or do you think that's just maybe your own background that's just you've got such a large scope of interests and that it's just fed into the show? Yeah, I'm just very uh, – I've got a lot of interests and in, uh, I've sort of dabbled in, in everything. I've got – well, it hasn't actually been released yet, but I actually have recorded a hip hop mixtape as well. All right. Um, I'm I'm planning on starting some uh, to do a little bit of stand up at some open mics before the end of this year. It was my um, sort of New Year's resolution to at least get one open mic under my belt this year. So yeah, I just I sort of get get amongst everything that I've got interest in, and I do. I do try to get as much history as I can as well and, and respect what what it is that I've got my interest in. I, I like to respect those things uh, as much as I can. So I, I go as far back as possible and I listen to, you know, Big Daddy Kane and, and Rakim and, you know, Slick Rick and I, I, I just mix it up. I try to go worldwide. I listen to a little bit of French hip hop, but who, who knows what they're saying, but it sounds good. I like the grime stuff. And then with comedy, I go back to – Red Fox and, um, you know, uh, George Carlin and Richard Pryor. And I try and, I try and listen to all of those greats as well as, you know, all the access we have to all of that stuff on, on Netflix and Hulu and Stan and whatever else everything's on these days. I, I try to, I just try to absorb all of it and find inspiration where I can. And I get very interested in it and I want to share that with, with everybody that, that listens to me. Uh, talk as much shit as I do. They deserve to to get a little bit of you know a bit of knowledge along the way. Yeah, yeah, learn something at least. I've gone and checked out some of the artists you've talked about, having no real connection to the pathway of how you get from this artist to that one to that artist. I've just kind of realised that if I listen to your podcast and you're talking about a musical artist, that that's a, a sensible place for me to start if I wanted to check out. What you you what you're listening to or what is big in that particular culture or whatever, yeah, it's it's been helpful. So you're doing a good job with that as well. Yeah, and you don't want to. Uh, I mean, some people do want to isolate a particular audience. I don't really. Uh, I, I've I mean, I am very sport, comedy, and and hip hop focused, but 
I try to I try to make that focus relatable for everyone. So there's a lot of you know sometimes I might say a hip hop quote or something, but I won't just leave after that. I'll, I'll I'll say where it's from or whatever. So people who might not know a particular Jay Z line, you know, will then know that it's Jay Z and and what he meant by it or something like that. That's good to know because I can never follow any of Jay-Z's lines, so I need as much help as I can get. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Half the time I think I know what he's saying and then I see lyrics or something under a video online. I'm like, okay, that's not at all what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, my missus is um, – she's she's not a huge hip-hop head, so sometimes – I get a bit of practice of breaking breaking stuff down um, when I'm when I'm having conversations with her. So, just just this weekend, we were listening to the uh, the Eminem and Machine Gun Kelly beef, and I was I was sort of breaking down each line and telling her what why he said this and what where it originated and all that kind of stuff as well. Wow, you're like a hip hop translator, mate. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's just maybe move into your time in basketball. Yeah. Were you playing like junior or state league in South Australia? Was that your first introduction to a higher level of basketball? Or yeah, well, I, did, I actually didn't start playing until I was about thirteen. Like, I mean, I always played like at school and stuff like that, but I never. I was always a shy kid, so I actually never wanted to play club basketball because I didn't want to meet new people. It gave me anxiety, so I just never did. And then I, I turned thirteen and. That's when I, you know, you, your goals are forming, and I, you know, I wanted to be like dad. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to try out for the Bulls. I wanted to play in Europe and all of this. And um, dad was like, "Well, you understand, you probably have to, yeah, you, know, you probably have to play club ball." So I went and I played for my local team, Sturt, who at the time uh, was very well known for developing their juniors, and I think. I think I've got to give a, the lion's share of my development credit to, well, my, my dad for one, but also Sturt for sort of building me from a, a raw sort of kid that loved the game into a, you know, well-skilled um, sort of all-round player. Now, I know that that club, just from memory, do they have a any involvement in the state league at the higher level? Like are they a bigger club with kind of – or is it a purely I- Adelaide-based club? Uh, just an Adelaide-based club, but like, there's all the uh, like n- national club champs and stuff, and Sturt's always in that for every a- age group as well. So yeah, they you see them people people know people in the basketball community know know Sturt as a club. Yeah, yeah, cool. So that was basically, I'm assuming you played both high school ball and you were playing with Sturt through those high school years. Yeah. When did it maybe become a reality that? I've got the athletic gifts and also I've developed enough from the skills perspective and understanding of the game to for college to become a realistic thing. Did you have an idea of that early or was that later in your development? That's a good that's a very good question. I don't think it ever was a doubt. Not and I don't mean that in terms of like I thought I was so good, but it was just sort of like this is what my dad did, this is what I want to do and I didn't I didn't have so much of a thought about how difficult the road may be. I just sort of thought it was going to happen. I think it was more my my grades in school that was what made me think like, oh yeah, I, I really am going to be able to do this. It was, yeah, more of a question of dad was always telling me, make sure your grades are up, make sure your grades are up, and um, I maintained good grades, and so I always just thought I was going to go regardless of 
sort of my skill set. And I, I, I guess I know, uh, I knew that being at one of the better clubs in in Adelaide and being one of the better players on that team, I knew I was I was in the right space. Righto. So let's just skip forward a little bit, Clay. Could you tell us a little bit about the college that you went to? and maybe the league that that club's in, and then we can knuckle down on a few college stories if you're okay with that. Yeah, well, I went to Bryant University, which is in a small town, Smithfield, Rhode Island. And uh, Smithfield, if, if it sounds familiar, the one the one thing that I've ever seen pop culture-wise that relates to Smithfield is The Conjuring was based in Smithfield. Yeah, right. My recruiting class was the first division one recruiting class so they used to be a division two school and they were transitioning to to division one and so i thought that would be the best opportunity for me uh to get minutes straight away and so that was really the selling point to go to a a lesser known school um in a in a small town i just thought this you know i could i could potentially make this my team it didn't quite work out, you know, the fairy tale ending that I thought it might have been, but I, I had a reasonable career and still managed to, you know, tick a few boxes along the way. Yeah, okay. So with the the move from Div 2 to Div 1, obviously you made the decision of it's going to be higher level of competition, but the team itself is from a smaller university. Yeah, and so in our first year, we, we won one game. We went, okay. we went <laughs> 1 and 30. So... Just for some context for people that don't follow basketball that closely, how big a difference is there between, you know, a strong Div 2 team in the in that area in the States and also, you know, a, a bottom-level Div 1 team? Obviously, there's a jump, but how big is that jump, do you think? Is it pretty substantial? Or uh, well, Bottom-level Div 1 and top-level Div 2 are pretty close. Yeah. But when you, when you go to, like, mid-level Div 1, any Div 2 team should get blown out. Across the country, there may be some, you know, some exceptions to that rule, but in general, yeah. Yeah, okay. So obviously there must have been some appeal to also being in the United States if you had an interest in hip-hop culture or basketball in general. It's kind of the mecca. So how did, yeah. how did you find that aspect, the travel and, you know, being on campus? I'm assuming you're on campus. Yeah, so, I mean, it, being... I guess the first question, the travel. You, you did mention that you weren't massive on meeting new people, <laughs> so that must have been pretty, pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, and I was. I would. I would say it's probably one of my biggest regrets was how how much I kept to myself my freshman year. Yeah. Okay. For the majority of freshman year, I really only associated with the team, and uh, yeah, I didn't really grow a big network outside of the team until my sophomore year when I was a bit more comfortable um, and people sort of people knew me and they would approach me more more than me approaching them which yeah I, if 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 I could do it again that that would be probably my first point of action would be to go out and start making new friends and doing that sort of stuff straight away how old were you when you actually were doing that? Because I know that when I think back to my university days, there were so many things that I look back on now and think, oh, you were standoffish or you were shy or you were rude to that person or whatever. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that you're, in a way, I was still a kid. 
Yeah, I mean, I was I was nineteen when I yeah when I started college. A lot of growth in in that five years, and I think I think a lot of people can be stunted in college as well because it is it is nothing like real life, and it's nothing like university over here. And you really how can you say that it's nothing like real life? <laughs> I completely <laughs> agree with you. Yeah, yeah, it's just I'll just talk from my perspective to begin with. I was on, you know, I'm on, I'm on a full scholarship. I'm not paying for, you know, books, tuition, uh, board, food, anything. So I'm not accruing any debt and I'm just, well, I've just got no responsibilities. I've got to make sure I get to practice. I've got to make sure that I keep a 2.2 grade point average, which is like a, a C plus, which is, you know, nothing. Yeah. So <laughs> Uh, it was, it was just, I was just, yeah, just in this world where all I, all I needed to do was work out and, you know, hit the books from time to time. So, you know, the, the parties and all that, I went to a small school and a small school saying that is still 4,000 people and it was not a commuter school. So most of these people live on campus. So, I mean, there's, there's parties and stuff like you can find something to do every night. And I mean, at a bigger school, it would probably be uh, a much larger risk of sort of being distracted from what, what you're there to do. So that was another thing that I, um, sort of had that internal dialogue about before I committed to, to go to Bryant was, I think, you know, if I go to a bigger school, it may be detrimental to me if, you know, if I do get caught up in the, in the party scene. Yeah. But it's just um, it's a it's a fishbowl, and everybody knows everybody's business. And you think Albury's bad, <laughs> but um, when when you're at a college and everybody's between nineteen and twenty five, and everybody loves to talk and everybody loves to fuck, it just it turns into a it can turn into a bit of a shit show. But I mean, it's a it's a fun shit show. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I I agree that university is. It'd be good if it was a little bit more like real life at times, I think. Like I came out with an economics and finance degree and I had to do my own research as to how a super fund works. So for it, like Clay being in Australia and anyone else understands that, but if you're not not from Australia, essentially it's a 401k or a retirement fund. Now, don't you think if you're doing a three and a half year like economics and finance degree – that you might actually go leave university knowing how a super fund works. Like it's, yeah, but you know what a hypotenuse is though, right? I, I knew a lot of useless crap. <laughs> like what's the one thing that affects normal people the most when it comes to finance in their life? In Australia at least, it's your super fund. Super and, funds and mortgages. Yeah, and you don't know any of that. So, yeah, it's not, no. it's not like real life. So talking no. about not real life, let's just move forward maybe to Aubrey Wodonga now. <laughs> so. Yeah. From memory, that was your first, I guess you would call it, semi-pro or paid basketball gig. I can't, just from memory, correct me if I'm wrong. So had you ever been to Albury-Wodonga before, Clay, or was it your first time when you came here to play? No, so I played um, a Nationals in, I think it was under 20s. Um, so I was, I was there for that. And then when I was at the AIS, which is the Australian Institute of Sport, we played in the Siebel. So we, uh, I actually believe it was opening round. I think it was round one of the Siebel in maybe 2018, I'm going to say. 
Yeah, we we came to to Albury for that game. Oh, so you were with the you were playing with the COE at that point. Yeah. Okay. I, I really started going regularly to the games. I think in 2011. So I might have. Oh, and I mean, and when I said 2018, I actually meant 2008. Yeah. Sorry. I, <laughs> I thought that that was the case. So yeah. <laughs> so obviously that team, the Bandits. If you're not familiar with what we're talking about, was pretty loaded. That first year, you had a lot of success. Yourself, you're obviously you were a great find. Somehow, Brad worked his mystical magic and talked Deborah out of Hobart, which the previous season didn't seem realistic, and stumbled upon Dante, who ended up one of the best players in the league. And Corey was just obviously a real talent, but wasn't coming from the best situation. What had led up to that, he was having yeah. some pretty hard times in his life. So, and it was just a melting pot of a lot of raw firepower and it worked on the court and it seemed to work off the court, but I don't know from cleaning up your boys' houses after the season. I'm not sure anything happened off the court, but just (laughs) that's a joke. By the way, there wasn't a whole lot of cleaning going on. There was, um, there was absolutely that, that first season for sure was, um, there was absolutely no static or anything at all. Uh, And I think that comes with winning as well. It's just, it's really hard to, to have a bad time. Yeah. Cause the, I mean, obviously at home, you guys were basically unbeatable, except for, from memory, I think Nana Wadding might have hit nine out of ten threes in one half. I think that was, yeah, yeah in one game, and I think that might have been the only game you lost at home that year. And obviously yeah. the team was very loaded, so you're winning away. Can I just, yeah. tell, Clay, I mean, we don't need to relitigate the whole Bandits experience, but can I tell you about one one moment from the second season that actually still means a lot to me as being a real fan of the club. And yeah. you were right that, that there was a little bit of a different vibe through that second season. The team was still loaded in a way, but not maybe not quite in the same way across the board, like defensively maybe wasn't as strong. Obviously yeah. that was nothing to do with yourself. You're one of our best defensive players, but it sounds like hyperbole when I talk about it, but Aubrey Wodonga Bandits versus the Geelong Supercats is some of the best non-super professional basketball I've ever seen. Like those two teams pushed each other to another level. Yeah, and yeah, it, I agree. Yeah, and if you were ever going to say this is as good, this is how good Seabull basketball can be, some of those games that you guys played against them was exceptional. 2016, the first final in Geelong, I think there was about maybe 20 Aubrey Wodonga fans in this massive stadium. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Several times throughout the years, the Bandits had but had basically beaten Geelong right at the death knell, and it happened to get on a put-back dunk at the end of that game when it looked like everything was done. And yeah. the thing that stands out to me the most wasn't the actual thing. It was the fact that the team ran down the court and the fans were face-to-face with the team, and there was probably only you know 20 people on the court and 20 people in the crowd and I think with all the yelling and celebrating, we pretty much filled that entire stadium up. And, yeah. <laughs> and in that one moment, it was kind of like all of the negativity from the whole season was gone. It was just pure happiness. And even on like your face and Dante and some of the bigger personalities on the team, does that moment stick out to you thinking back that that was a really great – I mean, you beat the team that you'd beaten already a couple of times a year before, but 20 minutes earlier, that didn't seem like it was possible. Yeah, and I think 
the fact that we had had a bit of a, a rough season, very up and down season, we didn't think we were even going to be in playoffs. And somehow, I don't know, a couple of results went, went our way and, and we ended up having to play in Geelong. So we didn't really feel like we were supposed to even be there. And then to come come away with that win and against a, a team of our rivals was was huge. And having yeah, having a bus full of you guys there as well, um, to you know, add add insult to injury at the end of that game to those guys was was a great um, little yeah highlighter over the top of that. Yeah, look, we were we made a lot of noise for fifteen to twenty people. I actually was getting I was a bit, and I think because that that hall they have hearing a thousand people go dead silent and only like twenty or thirty people screaming their heads off, it kind of stands out more than if yeah. than if a whole stadium is making noise. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, you guys would have got some pretty dirty looks walking out, but we left straight away, obviously, and we were getting real dirty looks, Clay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can imagine. Like, you walk out, and it's like the Australian fucking Open. They've got all these life-size model, like, pictures of their players lining all these yeah, pillars, right. and we're walking out going, you, you're lost. What are you talking about? Yeah. You don't need pillars. You're lost. <laughs> and then we get out on the bus, and the bus driver reverses the bus into the wall of the stadium just for a bit of extra spot. That was... <laughs> I don't think he meant that, but fuck, it was funny. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was a great game, and it was you know it's it was good to be able to play that extended season in, in a in a year that we thought we were going home early. There was a lot of great moments over those couple of years, but that was one that stood out for me. So we'll move forward now, Clay, to your post basketball life, I guess, for the lack of a better term. And like, there's not just the podcast that you've been doing. There's all these things that live around the podcast and feed into it and Clay's reviews, we can talk about that because they're particularly, I really enjoy those. Uh, There's Clay in the kitchen, (laughs) which we can talk about. There's Clay's head on other people's heads, which I think is hilarious. So (laughs) let's just talk. Is that all just creative interests that you have that feed into the podcast or are they just – is that what it's all kind of feeding back to or are these individual ideas that you just like to dabble with? No, okay, so I guess it's sort of two answers to that question is one, the clay in the kitchen. I do I do cook a lot at home and I, I rate myself a little bit in the kitchen. So um, <laughs> when, when I've cooked a nice meal, whether it's for friends, family, myself, my girlfriend, I do I do enjoy talking a little bit of shit about how how good I've I've done. And then I was just like, well, I may as well, you know, I may as well start a little a little cooking show and it doesn't need to be 30 minutes of some wanker, you know, grating carrots and shit like you see on um, you know, channel 2 on a Sunday. It can be a little 8-minute video and uh, you know, actually some some achievable stuff instead of, you know, Ma- MasterChef is fun to watch but you can't make any of that stuff. No. Um, and if you try, and, it's going to be a bloody disaster. So, yeah. yeah. And I like, yeah, I like it. I like keeping it simple and I like, I like talking a little bit of shit with it instead of, you know, like I like how Jamie Oliver pats himself on the back. He keeps calling his food gorgeous and all of that. <laughs> but, you know, I like to add a little bit of mature audience stuff in there and say, you know, this is fucking delicious and like, you know, Grind up a little bit of this bitch in there and and that kind of stuff. So, um, so I I, just, I thought that'd be pretty good content. Um, and I don't I don't release it as religiously as I release the the podcast. But um, when I've got a good idea and 
a bit of extra time on my hands, I, I try to get another episode out. What I find is funny, and it's just because of your physical stature, that you kind of have to have a certain group of shots that to get your entire body from like from your eye level and all the way where you're speaking and all the way down yeah. to where you're cutting. You have to have yeah. some really big vertical shots that would never be in a cooking show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just because you're too t- like you're six or seven inches taller than any other cook that's on the TV. So. Yeah, and I don't have a particularly tall countertop either, so it is it is a bit funny. It like actually that. adds to the humor a little bit because it's kind of like yeah. a, the knife and everything looks so tiny because it's right down the bottom of the screen. <laughs> yeah, and we did we did notice that after the first the first episode that we made, but that was a happy accident because I I didn't actually intend for it to to look like that, but um, there's no there's no escaping it. Yeah, <laughs> so we might we might leave Clay's reviews till last because those. They're very well, like they're really well worded and well written, and I'm assuming there's a fair bit of thought put into those. But let's just talk about a couple of the other funny things first. Yeah, there was one I saw that you were doing the clay's head on other people's heads. Yeah, there was one that you did of the. It was this really famous pose that the Rock has on his Instagram, and your face. Like I got to do a double take to just to think, how did he blend that together? Because sometimes it's more obvious than others. Yeah, was that. Look, where did that idea come from? But obviously you're doing the little quips. Like I think you had one, Everybody Everybody Loves Claimant was yeah. one of them that I thought was pretty funny. Because just going back, how I got to know that Clay was a creative person at heart, more so than an athlete even, was that one of my, be- well, my best friend, Daniel Caulfield, worked with Clay at Optus and he tapped me on the shoulder one day and he said, Josh, you'd really like Clay. Because he does some shit on Snapchat that's just wacko creative, so you've been doing that for a long time, like these yeah. creative ideas and experimentations, and yeah. And I just I think it's just um, really with that with that stuff, it's it's easy to pump stuff out on Instagram and Facebook that relates to the show. So like if I'm talking about you know, NBA, I'm, I'm posting NBA players or if I'm talking about, uh, well, you name it, uh, um, some some dude's murdered somebody, I'm posting, I'm posting a picture of him, I'm posting pictures of Harvey Weinstein or whatever, and it's very easy for it to lose my personality. So I just made a, con- a conscious effort. I was like, my face needs to be out there. I'm, you know, I'm putting all this work in there and I'm forgetting, I'm sort of forgetting to, to, put my face on anything and then I was just like, well, put my face on everything and uh, <laughs> that's really how it happened and now I just try to find iconic things that people people understand. So I try to not not really do it so much with like NBA, which I talk about a lot on the show, but because, uh, you know, I'd say 30, 30 to 50% of my audience probably aren't NBA fans. So there's no point of that. So I try to do it more with – iconic figures like The Rock and, um, you know, I, I Lil Wayne a couple of weeks ago and, um, yeah, just just p- people that people know and that will be funny. I can do a little pun most of the time. So the Lil Wayne one, it was Lil Klain. Um, <laughs> everybody loves Claimant and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's just, yeah, it's just being able to um, keep blasting out steady content and having a bit of fun with it. Let's maybe chat some Clay's reviews. So I think when Dan first told me that you were producing 
bits of content for different things, I think the first thing I started really noticing was that you were doing, and it might have just been on your blog at that point, Clay, possibly you were doing movie movie reviews, and you've continued to do that. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've been doing movie reviews since, since, since I was in college. So we... We used to have what we called Movie Tuesdays. So I think it was only, I think it was like $9 movies. So me and a few of the boys would get together and um, go to the movies every Tuesday night. And I would only do movie reviews for the movie that I saw on that Tuesday. And um, it's gradually turned into any movie that I saw at the cinemas. And now it's any movie that I watch that I, that I haven't reviewed before. And so, yeah, I just, I just bang those out there. And I've just always been a lover of, film i i did have dreams to sort of like become a uh film writer um and that dream was actually crushed when i wrote i wrote a script um called paranormal paranormal blacktivity <laughs> and the year that i finished writing that script the movie um a haunted house by the wayans brothers came out okay. which was essentially my exact fucking movie so i was just like this is a hard business <laughs> I give up. So I never wrote another script again, but um, I, I do enjoy watching films and, and giving them a little review. And that's probably one of the things I get the most feedback on is I get people saying like, oh, I only watch movies now that you've given a seven or above or um, uh, like, oh, I, why don't you review this? I got a lot of recommendations which are just sitting in the inbox because it's just too it's just too hard to get to all of them. Yeah, gosh, there's so much content out there now, video related. Yeah. One thing I like, Clay, I guess, is just, and you would know having an interest in film, particularly with the Disney Corporation, mm-hmm. if you track back who owns what website or who owns the company that owns a website or who owns the company that owns a company that owns the website, Disney owns so much and you don't realise that they own it or Universal is the eventual owner or whoever that everybody's a shill. No movie's bad. And if their movie happens to be made by the company that owns them, apparently it's better than what it actually is. For me, Captain Marvel, my second least favourite Marvel movie. Apparently it's the greatest movie ever. It's not. I'm sorry. <laughs> your, yeah, your, review, your reviews are just honest. Yet, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I've, I saw a lot of a lot of stuff, and I, I kind of expected it. And I don't want to I don't want to get too um, too welcome to the potty on on uh, punching sideways <laughs> here. But I, I kind of expected them to say it was going to be the best thing ever when they you know made the most the strongest superhero a woman uh, i just knew they were going to blow that up um out of proportion a bit and i mean wonder woman actually was a really good movie yeah it was yeah. but she's she's not captain marvel so it was like it was a huge release but i knew i knew captain marvel was going to be um you know talked about in that way before anyone had even seen it yeah like i was hoping that it would be good cuz i'd heard only that it was bad from people that i trust yeah thought maybe it can't be that bad and then I went to it. It really was that bad. But <laughs> what I like about your reviews is, is they're unaffected by anyone's opinion. Yeah. So the people that trust your reviews know that whether you're reviewing it as a 2 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10 or mostly somewhere in between, that that is actually what you think. Yeah. Do you find over time that you're starting to have people find your, find your reviews that you don't actually know, like new people all the time? Oh, absolutely. I was just telling a story 
uh, about a week ago to a friend of mine. Um, I was I went out to a bar. Uh, this is probably almost a year ago, but I was I was out at a bar and I had this girl tapping on my shoulder, and I turned around and she's not even looking at me. She's like waving her boyfriend over, and she's saying, "This is the movie guy. This is the movie guy." <laughs> And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? But um You must have also no, been, been thinking, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've had I've had because I, I tag people from the from the movies, I do the reviews, and I've had a couple of um people follow me and you know how they do the follow and the classic follow and unfollow because they don't actually want to follow you. Yeah. Um I had Seth Rogan do that. Oh wow. Uh, and then a lesser known name was um did you watch that TV series You on uh, no, Netflix? No, but I, I saw it. I didn't watch it. Yeah, one of the one of the girls from that followed me for like a week. So um, that's pretty cool when stuff like that happens, and then you can kind of see a little bit of influx of activity when around that as well. So what? Why did she unfollow you? Who's this guy? You're so tall. He cooks food. Like, what's going on? He doesn't <laughs> hold the no, camera. I think, I think it's just. Um, I think they follow you. And I think they're trying to get more followers. So yeah. I think I think that was uh, the sort of situation. And then they realise that um, they're following a nobody, and then they uh, they unfollow you, and you uh, your head deflates. It it is funny when you get a like a retweet or a, a like on a tweet or something from a celebrity. Like I'm a massive fan of the radio show. Take Kate Tim and Marty. Oh like, yeah, Marty Sheegold, I think is the funniest person. There is like uh, he, yeah. he his darkness appeals to my dark heart. And yeah, the Tim Blackwell is probably the most gifted technician as far as hosting a show that I've ever heard on Australian radio as well. And he quite often will just throw a like on my tweets that I tweet to him. Or like, there's certain celebrities, and a lot of them are local. That maybe they it because they're outside the Hollywood bubble that they are kind of more like. I feel that that's a little bit more real. Yeah. Whereas if I had a big celebrity, like a Hugh Jackman or some other one person that's over in the States that you got, you know, if they were to like your tweet, there would be, you know, that, well, to begin with, it probably wouldn't be them. It'd be yeah. <laughs> their assistant's assistant that's hitting like on it. But yeah. Yeah. But it must still be good to know that there's, you know, real people out there that are following your reviews. Is there any particular review that you've had a more, uh, how do I say this? That hit a chord with people more than what you were expecting? Because I, I know there have oh. been a few where I thought that's exactly how I would have described that movie, and um, the fact, and it was it was one of the movies that was nominated for an Oscar, and you th- said basically it's not that good, but I can't remember. Well, do you, you don't remember it? No, uh. no, but I remember it was a movie where everyone was going off about how great it was. Might have been the. What was that movie where the lady was in the fish tank and the she was in love with like the marine creature, the sound of water oh, or the? Yeah, I know. I never saw that, so that wouldn't have been it. But yeah, that sounded fucking dumb. I, <laughs> yeah, I, agreed. And it's just like they they place that kind of shit up on a pedestal, but then like the crux of it is that that fucking movie is bestiality. Yeah, it's not. It's not good, is it? And they just, it just got all of this hype and like, how beautiful is that? And like, oh, you know, real love. And I was like, what? It's, 
this woman fucks a fish, man. Like, what are you talking about? How alternative or like how liberal do you want to be about it? It's so it's so crazy. It is so crazy. Yeah, that had some that had some themes to it that were a little bit dicey. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess getting back to my actual question was there. Is there any review that you remember doing that you just thought that is that's pretty cool? And then people have, you know, an outsized response, I guess, for the lack of a better term. Oh, I, I wish I wish I could answer your question better than this, but no, I just it, there's so many that I've done that it's hard to it, it's hard to even remember what movies I've I've reviewed. But I know I know like a few of them. People will say like, oh, only a seven or something like that, and I'll. I'll just give him a cheeky um, response back and say it's fucking Clay's reviews. It's not Jim's reviews or <laughs> or Jan's reviews. It's fucking Clay's reviews. So that's the score, 7 out of 10. You, you have to be pretty fucking good to be a 5 out of 5 or a 10 out of 10. Exactly. That's what I try to tell everyone, Josh. That's the, that's the thing. I like that you're holding that line. Like if you give something 9 out of 10, you're saying that it's better pretty much than nearly every movie ever on IMDb yep. except for The Shawshank Redemption. Thank you. And this is this is what I try to tell everybody is people are like only a seven, but I'm like, to me, seven is a very good, watchable movie and you should go see it. Yeah. And then once you once I start saying eight, eight point five, nine, you're talking Oscar nominations and possibly wins. Yeah. And then when you start talking about nine point five, ten, you're talking about the best films ever made. Yeah. You're talking about Godfather. And Godfather yeah. Part Two sort of territory. So yeah, and I've given you know I've given a few tens. I think I gave The Revenant a ten, and I think I gave Interstellar a ten. Yeah, like those are. I mean, I don't know whether I would have given them a ten, but they're definitely some of the best movies of the last ten years. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think I mean Green Book. Green Book. I think I would have given a nine. Um, I haven't seen but, that, but I've heard that that. I mean, that won an Oscar, didn't it? Didn't that? Yeah, that yeah. that did win Best Film. I like that you're holding the line on it. I think that's probably why people – I think that there's a shift happening where there's so many shills for big companies on the internet doing reviews because their boss's boss is actually a different company and it's nearly always Disney. Yeah. That you can't trust critics anymore. You can either go and get the audience score, which if it's made up of a popular movie, could be thousands of reviews Yeah. off IMDb or Amazon or – Rotten Tomatoes before they changed all their stuff. You you could only really trust the crowd. You couldn't trust critics anymore because they're all getting paid by somebody. Yeah, but then there's also the problem with that is how much of the crowd knows film. Oh, and they are, have, what are they what are they watching? Are they watching for lighting and direction and yeah, they, um, they most of them would have pretty bad taste. Are they yeah. are they watching for explosions and and big titties? Well, I think we're all watching for that, Clay, let's be honest. <laughs> you just made me think of Total Recall for some reason then. I was just thinking Explosion, Titties, Total Recall. Is that the – she's got three titties, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Which yeah. <laughs> when you're a little kid, it's like, whoa, jeez. Yeah, In the land before time, this is great. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes I try not to like, like every one you do because I actually really like the reviews, but I do remember that you put out – it was like a group post where it was, I think it might have been the end of 2017 or something. It had favourite 10 whatevers. And one of them, you had five favourite Canadians. Yeah. And I think I just had the girl from Rivendale or Riverdale, whatever her name is. What's her name? Vanessa Morgan. 
who blows my mind. She's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I think I had her five times. And Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because <laughs> she's just the most beautiful person I've ever seen. And Well, Seth Rogen, um, funnily enough, was one of my favorite Canadians, and he actually threw me a like for that as well. Oh, really? Because yeah. that one was like, oh, there's so much great stuff out of Canada, but then there's her. Yeah. And I don't know yeah. whether – but then you got me thinking like that probably wouldn't – there's not a lot of pages out there to put out fun stuff like that of what – it's not what's your favourite movie, it's what's your favourite Canadian thing. Yeah. And that's kind of a level deeper of, oh, well, it's not – they're going to be not quite as famous and they're going to be kind of a little bit less known. Yeah, and it's just it's just a bit of fun. It's just not it's not like it's not the same shit that that you know you can find on Buzz Buzzfeed every second page. It's just something something else that um, you know people may not may not have thought of, or maybe they've thought of it, but you know they they're not putting content out there, so they haven't um, you know they haven't seen it anywhere else. So I just try to you know try to mix it up. And I do love when I go into the comments on your post. It's so fun that it's a very cordial environment. Like you'll have someone posting about how they love the review and their name's, you know, Lawnmower Murderer Man 59. Yeah. And he's just throwing you a love heart on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's good stuff. Yeah. Righto, mate. So I guess we'll probably just start winding it up because I'm sure we'll be able to talk again in the future about how things are progressing. But yeah. just to go back to the podcast, is there any particular guest that – and just so people that are still with us know, the show, I guess you would say, is even less safe for work than Punching Sideways and probably a little bit edgier. Is there any particular place where you think the people that listen to this show might find a good entry into your show? Like, is there any really great guests that stand out? Or um, I feel like I've had, a, I've had a lot of great guests. I've had one on the show twice. Uh, by the name of Sean Hartofelis, who is a film director um, out of New York. Um, and he's really great to talk to um, and very – he's got a lot of intent in the in the films that he makes and he really makes stuff that he wants to make. And, yeah, he's great – yeah, great to talk to. I'd say Sean Hartofelis and I had – yeah, like I said before, Davo – Davo Slots came in and he he was really um really good. It felt that was like a really natural conversation that we had. And then I would say for something different, um, it was it was kind of a sports episode, but Peter Hooley, who plays for Melbourne United, um, he's got a very, very unique story that sort of pulls at the heartstrings a little bit. And that that was a great episode as well. That was one of the earlier ones. I sorry, I don't know all the episode numbers but um just give those names a search and should be able to find something i must have missed that one early in the piece because i heard him speaking on the siebel's obviously moved to now become the nbl one and he was on the nbl's putting a lot of resources into it and they're producing a weekly recap show and peter hawley was just on there incredibly well spoken yeah yeah he is and he's um he's got a blog as well i wish i could plug it but i don't remember the name of it i, but, can, I um, can track that down it won't be too hard to yeah. find yeah. he's a he's a great writer um, and he's been writing for a long time oh, that's awesome i actually was going to for anyone that's listening that's interested in the basketball side of things and that's maybe where you see the connection between the show and clay etc i remember a really great episode i think it was with the captain of the mount gambia pioneers tom daly 
Yeah. He might not have been the captain. I might be making that part up. But I remember that he, he was at that point probably their best local player. And he yep. was just talking about the amount of strains and injuries and crap you have to live with, at even at that level, which is, you know, only the second highest level in the country. Like a, an injury is just – it was it was the first time I thought that I had some insight into just how devastating an injury can feel. Yeah, the, the toll an injury can take mentally yeah. is, and it was, is just – And he was obviously doing a great job handling that, but you could tell that that team had – a lot riding on his health, and yeah. he just couldn't stay healthy. And yeah, I mean, you just got. I think what I loved about that one was, and it's probably what happens over time as a podcaster, you get better at just letting people talk out their stories and not interrupting them. <laughs> like that's what yeah. that happened to me. I used to, if I used to think people were lulling in their story, I would start talking to try and cover up something. And yeah. what you did brilliantly in that one was you just let him talk it all out. It's like he was getting free therapy. He probably needs to send, yeah. send you a couple hundred bucks for that one. Yeah, yeah no shit. Yeah. yeah, so I'll link that one up too just for the basketball fans. So Yeah, yeah, no worries. Righto, mate. Well, it's been awesome talking to you, and obviously I listen to the show when I can. And one thing that Clay's doing that's really awesome is that you're putting effort into like listing what's actually in each episode. So yeah. if you don't feel like you have enough time to commit to a whole episode, you can actually see – it's pretty obvious what are going to be the really funny bits because <laughs> the way you write each part is pretty funny. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, just trying to make it easy to navigate and, yeah, it, it lets you know the uh, timestamps of, of everything that I talk or yeah. most things that I talk about. Um, yeah. And as Clay and I actually spoke for a little while before we started recording tonight, it would be ideal to be able to release um, a long episode and then have somewhere else where we could chop out all of the individual segments into their best bits and have them as well. But neither of us yeah. have the resources to really do that. So what we can do, though, and I do it with Punching Sideways as well, is list what's in the episode. And I've been lazy, Clay, because I've stopped putting the timestamps in there, which I really need to go back and start doing again. Because <laughs> that's, that's almost a way of like segmenting the show without actually having to edit it all up like that. Yeah, it is hard though because you've got to go through the episode and listen to the whole thing. So you, it's like editing it twice. And you, you're just so, I mean, I know from playing in bands for 20-something years, all you hear, like the guest sounds great. They're fantastic. What the fuck was I doing? I'm yeah. breathing too heavy. I'm popping the microphone. I'm stumbling on my words. That wasn't funny. That was a non sequitur. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> like all you hear is your own mistakes. I don't know if you feel like that, but oh yeah, absolutely. I hate listening back to it because I'm just. I just, everybody should be, and I am for sure my own worst critic. And um, I mean that's part of that's part of how you grow. Yeah, I mean if you thought you were the best ever, you'd never never get better at anything. No, but and um, nobody would want to listen to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Rogan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll leave that one. We did talk about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, mate. Well, thank you, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, cheers, man. Thanks for the time. Yeah, see you, mate. Bye, bye.